You guys, how did, how did you do this week uh, with anticipating the return of Jesus Christ? I mean, was it on your mind this week? Were you able to focus on it and think about it and, and, and actually get excited and look forward to it? It's just a hard thing to do, isn't it? It's hard to, to remember it day after day because so many things go on. And, uh, and for some of you, maybe you're going through a hard time and it's hard to, to, to think about anything else other than your problems. It's hard to look forward to the day when Christ returns and those problems go away. But for others of you, maybe things are so good, it's hard to think about Christ coming and making things better. I mean, I mean that, that's really, honestly, my struggle this week was, God has put me right now, you know how you go through different seasons in life, and times when things are just really difficult, and other times when things are just really good? I mean, right now in my life, you know, several times this week, I just said to God, God, I am just overwhelmed with how good things are right now, and how enjoyable and how fun life is right now. And uh, Friday night, I was out with my wife, and I... And I just remember just looking across the table and looking at my wife and just going, no way. I mean, she is so hot, you know. And, I, and, and it just, it hit me again. I just thought, God, why me? Why did you choose to bless me so much? You know, I, because, man, I, I shouldn't have her. You know, I, I, look at my, I look at my kids. I look at my life. I look at this church. I look at all the things that are going on. I'm just going, God, I'm overwhelmed. You're like totally spoiling me. I love my relationship with you. And right now, just one of those seasons where, man, things are so, so good. And, and to think about the return of Jesus Christ, honestly, there's a part of me sometimes that, that doesn't long for it like I should because maybe I'm not... Sure, sometimes that it's going to be that much better. You know what I mean? I mean, it's an issue of trust. I mean, in my mind, I know, I know God's going to make things better when He returns, but sometimes there's a part of me because it's unknown and, and actually experiencing, and I haven't experienced it yet. I go, God, it's hard for me to long for that. I mean, what is so great about Christ returning? What are the great things about His return? What is going to change? As I studied Revelation 20 this week, I mean, that's what it describes as, you know, when Christ returns, if your life's good now, wait till Christ returns. You know, it's going to be so far beyond that. And if life is difficult for you right now, and you're going through some hard times, and understand when Christ returns, it's going to be a whole different world. There are going to be so many changes, and that's what Revelation 20 talks about. And I want to talk about those changes so we can have them in our mind and understand what's our future existence going to be like. When he returns. Revelation 20 verse 1. It says. I saw an angel coming down out of heaven. Having the key to the abyss. And holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon. That ancient serpent. Who is the devil or Satan. And bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss. And locked and sealed it over him. To keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until a thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. So the first thing that I want to talk about, one of the biggest changes that's going to happen when Christ returns is that Satan, the devil, will be bound. Okay, you guys, that's huge. I don't, I don't know if you, you realize just how huge of an impact that is going to have on our world. If Satan is literally bound um, I don't know if you noticed this, but our world's kind of screwed up. Um, you notice that? You know, you, you, read, you ever read the paper? You ever, you know, watch the news? I mean, there are things that happen. You go, what is this all about? I mean, there's times when, uh, when people who do some pretty evil deeds get away with it. 
Um, you know, and then, then there's victims, you know, where, where people who are seriously trying to do what's right become the victim of someone else's sin. And you go, that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. And, and so many things in the world right now you just think are not the way you think God would want them to be. Well, you guys, a lot of that is because of, of Satan. A lot of the evil prospers in this world. And you see in the Bible, it talks, when it talks about Satan, it explains that God, who is on the throne, an almighty God, in his sovereignty, he has allowed Satan to in some ways rule the world right now. In fact, when you read John 12 or John 14 or John 16, it refers to Satan as the ruler of this world or the prince of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4 calls Satan the god of this age. Okay, now why has God permitted Satan to dwell on this earth and and to uh, influence the earth as he has right now? We don't know. That's part of God's sovereignty. You know, God in his wisdom says, you know, and I believe that is right. You know, to allow people to make that choice. um, I think if he took that choice away, we'd be saying, God, why? You know, why don't you let us choose good? You know, whatever he does, we're going to second guess him. We're going to say, why? Why would you do this? Why would you do that? But all we know is in scripture, God in his sovereignty has allowed Satan to exist. And he's allowed him some sort of rule, some sort of authority on this earth. But when Christ returns, it says that he's going to be bound up. Okay. Now, now the Bible says that he is bound here for a thousand years. And then he's set free for a short time. Now, when he's bound up, he's not sent to hell. Okay, we'll see that. We'll read that in a few verses. He's going to be thrown into hell. But right now, in in this passage, when Christ returns, he's just going to be bound for a thousand years. I believe those are a literal thousand years. You know, I I take the Bible very literally. And anything I can read literally, I just say, you know what? I think it's an actual literal thousand years where where Satan is going to be bound um, and Christ, Christ is going to rule. Okay, so understand, remember last week, we talked about how Christ returns, you know, there's a marriage supper of the Lamb, you know, he gathers us all together, and then he destroys his enemies, and uh, there's a supper for all the vultures and the birds that eat the flesh of all the enemies of God, and then, then it says that uh, after that, Satan himself is bound up for a thousand years, and then Christ himself rules here on the earth. Okay, so it's going to be a whole different world. I mean, imagine a world without the influence of Satan. Okay, and imagine a world where Christ is literally here on the earth and we can see him and he sets up his throne and his kingdom here on the earth for a thousand years. What would that be like? So he describes that in verse 4. He says, I, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Okay, now after Satan is bound, it says then that there's going to be thrones set up. And on these thrones here on the earth are going to be the people that Christ decides these will be the rulers of the earth. They're the ones that are going to have authority to judge. And then it says that the souls 
of those who were beheaded, these are the people, remember we talked about in the end times, it's going to be difficult to keep your faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, remember Revelation 13 talks about the mark of the beast, the 666 on the hand or the forehead that everyone in the world is going to take because you can't buy or sell without it except for the believers. The true believers will not take that mark. And many of them will be martyred. They'll be killed. And now John is saying, I saw those people who were martyred that had their heads literally severed from their bodies because of their faith in God. And it says they came back to life. They come back to life. And when Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom on earth, they're going to be with him. Now, you guys, I believe that we will all be there with him. All of us who believe and, and right now have put our faith in Jesus Christ. When it talks about the first resurrection in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, it explains that all of the dead in Christ will rise. That we're all going to be there with him. I think that John focuses primarily on the martyrs here because of the purpose of revelation. He's trying to encourage those who are alive at that time to keep their faith, even if it means dying. Because even, even if you become beheaded, he says that's, that's better than living under, under the rule of the Antichrist and submitting to him because you'll come back to life and you'll reign with Christ there for that thousand year period. Now, so, so Christ is on the throne. I mean, imagine this. Christ is in charge. All of his enemies are gone. Remember, he killed them all. Satan himself is bound. And now you have these believers you know, who have risen from the dead, and I believe that there's going to be a repopulation of the earth by those people. I think it's going to grow even faster because it doesn't seem like there's going to be death during this time, from, from what I understand, from what I'm reading, because it seems like they will literally live for that thousand-year period. Um, imagine what that's going to be like. What would it be like to live in that environment where Christ is in charge of everything he determines What's permitted here on the earth? See, right now, if you went to the movies today, this afternoon, you went over to the Regal Theaters and you looked at the list of movies, how many of those movies honor God? <laughs> and how many dishonor Him? You turn on your TV this afternoon. You know, watch for about an hour. How many of those channels, how many, how many would actually honor God? And how many would directly violate His word? You turn on the radio on the way home. You just listen to any random station. Are the songs teaching biblical morals? How to live by this book? Or are they teaching you the exact opposite? I mean, imagine a world where uh, things were actually good in honoring to Christ. Where that was the focus. is It's got to be right with Him. It's got to be okay to Him. I mean, really, when we go to the movies now, we're not looking for a good movie. You don't go there and say, oh, I just want to see something good. No, we, we look at the list and go, ooh, that one looks really bad. That one looks like it's got some bad stuff. And that one doesn't look like it has too much bad stuff. Let's go to that one. You try to find the one with the least amount of evil, right? You say, well, I heard this one only has a couple of bad parts. So I'll watch that. Imagine a world where things are actually good and honoring and pleasing to God. Imagine a world where it was popular to follow the Bible. Think about it. Imagine living in an environment where this book was right and everyone was saying, yeah, that's, what, that's the way we want to live. I mean, aren't you, aren't, wouldn't that be awesome? If this is what everyone believed and this is what everyone sought after. 
Aren't you tired of being the dork? I mean, seriously. Aren't you just tired of being the idiot that goes, Oh, I can't watch that movie. I don't want to see that. I don't want to watch that. That's bad. And, 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 and for, for standing up for this book, we're, we're the total, you know, freaks. You know, it's like, oh, you guys still believe that? You're still going to live according to that book? Wouldn't it be incredible if everyone followed this? Everyone sought to live according to this because Christ was on the throne. He says, you know, this is the way it's going to be. What an incredible situation that would be. So a lot of things are going to change. I mean, when Christ comes, man, we're going to be right. And those who pursue God are going to be in the right. And are going to be in the majority. This is going to be all good stuff. But some things won't change. Okay, well, there's going to be a lot of change on this earth, obviously, with Satan bound and Christ on the throne. There's some things that don't change. And that's what verse 7 talks about. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. And let me explain what Gog and Magog are real quick. Um, In Ezekiel 38 and 39, it, it refers to Gog and Magog, some sort of location, and it's referring to the enemies of God. People have tried to pinpoint exactly where this area is in the end of time, but we're, we're not sure. Um, basically, just know that that's referring to the enemies of God, and, and it's basically Satan trying to gather all the people on the earth against God again after the thousand years. And it says, uh, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. Verse 9. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Okay, so you see, even after a thousand years, some things don't change, right? I mean, Satan's been bound up for a thousand years. Does he change? No, a thousand years are over and the first thing he does is he goes out in the world and he's trying to deceive people and getting them to go against God. Another thing that doesn't change is, uh, is God. You know, they all you know, come together to battle against God. And he says that there's as many of them as, as the sand on the seashore and they come to battle against God and God just calls down fire from heaven and devours them. So a thousand years later, God hasn't changed. Still the most powerful being. Satan still being evil. The beast and the false prophet. Remember that was leading the whole world astray. Remember how in chapter 19, they were thrown into the lake of fire. Well, here a thousand years later, they're still there. They're still in the lake of fire. It says in in verse uh, 10, when it says the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now Satan joins them in that lake of fire. This is where Satan is cast into hell. But the beast and the false prophet have already been there for a thousand years. And now they continue to be tormented in the lake of fire forever and ever. You guys, it's interesting to me that it's such a popular thing today to say that hell is not eternal. And I'm not saying that I like it being eternal. I'm just saying, how do you read the word of God here? And say that hell is not eternal. I mean think about it. It's saying that the beast and the false prophet were thrown in there. And now here they are a thousand years later. And they're still in there. And then the words are they will be tormented there forever and ever. 
How do you read that and go, yeah, but I don't think that means eternal. <laughs> you guys, you guys, the words are pretty clear about what this lake of fire is all about. And it says that Satan will join them and they'll be tormented forever because of what they have done to God's creation. So Satan doesn't change. He's still evil. God doesn't change. He's still most powerful. The beast and the false prophet haven't changed. They were suffering. They're still suffering. But the one thing I really want you to catch from this passage is how people and their hearts don't really change. See, you would think that if Christ were on the throne and the world was different and we got rid of all the evil and we created this pure environment, that then the people would truly follow God, right? I mean, a lot of people say, well, I don't believe in God because there's so much evil in the world. Well, what if we took it all out? Then would everyone follow God? Well, it says here, when Satan comes back to deceive the world, he deceives so many that they're like the sand on the seashore. How can that be? They're in such a good environment. Man, wouldn't you think that after experiencing Jesus on the throne for a thousand years, you'd go, I'm going to stick with him. Look how good things are. And yet at the end, people still say, I choose evil. Why? Because environment cannot change a person's heart. You understand that. Environment doesn't change a person's heart. Here you have people in the purest environment you can create, and yet they choose evil. You ever known people like that? That grew up in a good, pure home, godly values, and then choose to go the other direction? And then you have the flip side, don't you? Of people who live in the most ungodly environment, and yet they choose to live a godly life. Why? Because while, in, while environment can have some sort of effect on us, it doesn't control us. We choose our destiny. We choose what we want to do. I mean, God enables us. This is, the great, this is one of the greatest things about being a Christian, is the fact that God enables us to rise above our environment, to rise above our circumstances. God enables us to change. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit and how He can radically just change us. No matter what environment we live in. I talk about my little girl a lot, Rachel, because uh, she just cracks me up. One of her favorite things to do is impersonations. I mean, she's not even six years old, but she loves to impersonate. You know, she'll watch something on TV, she'll turn off the TV and start acting it out and impersonate them. And, and she just entertains us for hours. Anyway, she, uh, um, the other day, you know, my wife was gone and my, my daughter looks at me, she goes, okay, Dad, guess who I am? And she starts impersonating Mom. She picks up the phone, she goes, hi, Reese, there's a sale at Target, you want to go? You know, and that's just totally my, you know, oh, let me drink my Coke. You know, she's doing all this stuff, and I'm just cracking up on the couch. She's just being a tall ham. And then she stops, she goes, okay, Dad, now guess who I am? Rachel, go to bed! <laughs> all right, you probably guessed who that was, but, uh, Here's what she was alluding to. Okay, I don't do that, okay? But I did four years ago. And I said, Rach, Rach, when's the last time I yelled at you like that? She goes, I don't know. I go, Rach, how old were you? She goes, two. I go, okay, and that's all you remember about me? Come on! It's been really good since then. But she was alluding to this time, you guys, and, and I'm just going to confess here... 
Man, I, I remember there, there was a night, you know, when they were young and they just don't want to go to bed and just whining, whining, whining and just have an argument for everything else. And I remember just getting so angry that night, just so mad because she just kept talking, talking. And I finally got so frustrated that I picked her up and just stuck my face right in her face and I just screamed at the top of my lungs and said, shut up and go to sleep. And I dropped her on her bed. And I remember after doing that, I mean, I got so angry, I was physically shaking. And I walked out to my living room and thought, what in the world are you doing? What was that all about? I remember just feeling just horrible. I don't know if you've ever done something like that. When you were kids, we were just going, what was I thinking? What was that all about? And I began praying and apologizing to God and And then thinking, you know what? That's my dad. It's totally my dad. That anger. And I remember as a kid, just just him just chasing me around the house, just beating me, just chasing me through every room, just hitting me, hitting me, just angry every time I did anything wrong. Remember a time when he got so angry at me for talking back to a teacher, he tied me up to a tree in the backyard, started taking all the branches that had fallen and just beating me with them. So they would break and just grab another one, pull one off the tree and just beat me until it would break. And I just remember out there just being tied up to a rope, just shivering, crying with welts all over my body. And the anger of my dad just coming out in me now, not physically, but just verbally, just screaming at my daughter like that. And we're just going, God, I, I can't, I can't do this. There's no way I am not going to turn into that type of father I'm not going to be that type of dad. God, I know by the power of your Holy Spirit, I don't have to be that. And I just remember begging God, change me, because I don't want to be that kind of father. I remember walking back in her bedroom and just, she's still sobbing, still crying, trying to go to bed. And I just said, honey, your daddy was so wrong tonight. Daddy was being very, very bad. Will you please forgive daddy? I will try my hardest to never yell at you like that again. Daddy was so wrong. Will you forgive me? Remember her just looking up and saying, I forgive you, Daddy. And, uh, and I can say, yeah, four years later, I haven't yelled at her. I, uh, I thank God. And we're going back in that living room and just praying and saying, God, change me, change me, change me. And he has. You know, I'm ashamed of... You know, abusing my daughter like that, absolutely. But you guys, I share that not because I'm proud of it by any means. um, But to say that, you know what? We all come here with a bunch of crud in our lives. A bunch of baggage. And sometimes we think, oh man, I could never live the Christian life. But we can. It's about taking a step of faith and saying, God, I know there's all sorts of sin in my life right now. But I believe that your son died on a cross for me. I believe that he paid the penalty for all of that that was wrong. And I believe now that your Holy Spirit can come into me and change who I am and conform me to the image of your son. Help me to become more like him. That I can put to death the deeds of the flesh. I can put to death all this stuff from my past. Because while environment can affect us, it can't control us. The Holy Spirit can absolutely change us. I'm a different man than I was four years ago. 
I'm a different man from, from who I was 10 years. I'm a different man from who I was six months ago. Why? Because that's what our journey, that's what our life is all about, about this change that we take in life and how the Holy Spirit can change us. If I set up a microphone up here and said, hey, me, how many of you have been changed by God? Why don't you come up here and just share some stories? We'd be here all afternoon. People just saying, gosh, I used to be like this, I used to do this. And yet God came into me and he changed, 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 changed. You guys, some of you in this room probably think, well, I can't be a Christian yet because there's still too much garbage in my life. You guys, join the crowd. Okay? It's not about having to be so perfect and then Christ will accept you. It's the whole point of coming before Christ and saying, I've screwed up. I've got all this sin in my life. Can you come in and change who I am and help me be the person you want me to be? And the rest of our lives is pursuing that. And that's what we're here for. And I just hope that there's no one in this room that thinks, no, I, I've got to change first. No, let Christ in. Let him change you. It's not about your circumstance. It's not about your environment. It's about God calling you to have a relationship with him and you answering that call. And then his Holy Spirit coming into you and changing you. And at some point, everyone in this room has to take that step of faith. You've got to. You have to, at some point in your life, admit that you've sinned against God and that you're a sinner and you need Him to come into your life and change you and forgive you. And you guys, that is so important to me, especially today. It is so important to me to know that you in this room truly believe that and have accepted Christ as your Savior because of verses 11 through 15. When it says this, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You see, we can rejoice about the lake of fire and say, yes, Satan's going to be thrown in there, the false prophet, you know, the the beast, they're all going to be thrown into the lake lake of fire. But here it says, anyone else who refuses to follow Jesus Christ will be thrown into this lake of fire. And it gives this picture. I, I, mean, I mean, in the beginning it says he sees this great white throne. Picture this. It says there's this great white throne and God sitting on this huge white throne. This is the final judgment. Now, this isn't for everyone. I'm not going to be there. Those of us who have already accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we do not go to the great white throne judgment. Understand this. We're a part of the first resurrection, as we talked about earlier. And the Bible says the second death has, has no, no power over us. Okay, so we escape this. But what it says is God sits on the throne, just a great white throne, and it says that, that, that the earth and the sky flee from his presence. So this earth that we're sitting on right now is gone. It disappears. The heavens, everything is gone. All that's left is this throne with God sitting on it. And it says that it see, he sees all of those who have died before standing before this throne. They're lining up before this throne to be judged. 
And the Bible says that books were opened and the book of life was opened. So you got a series of books here, then you have the book of life. And the Bible says if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, my name's in the book of life. Okay? So I don't worry about that. You know, say, oh, Francis, he's, he's fine. He's, he's in there. The moment you come to a point where you say, you know what, I believe that Jesus was the Son of God and that he paid for my sins. And I accept him as my Lord and Savior. And I want him to change me and help me to be the person he wants me to be. I want his spirit to be. The moment you do that, your name is written in the book of life. In fact, this weekend, we've already had several people who had their name added to the book of life. This weekend, who said, you know what, I believe that. I want that for me now. But what are these other books? The other books, you know, I, I believe that what is written in these other books is everything that you did wrong. Is your sins. For those people, those people who are lining up before God, these books are going to record all of their sins. The Bible speaks of how God remembers our sins. It talks about how he, he has forgiven those sins of us who, are, who have uh, accepted Jesus Christ because he already paid for our sins on the cross. But the Bible in, De- in Deuteronomy 32, in Isaiah 65, in Daniel 7, all talks about God remembering the sins of the unbelievers. I believe that's what's in these books because... Because of what it says in, uh, in verse 12. At the end of verse 12 when it says, The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. See, as people come forward, it says that what they had done is recorded in this book, in these books, and God can judge them for them. He judges them for what they had done. See, right now in the world, there are so many people who say, you know, when I get to heaven, or when I come before God, I've lived such a good life, he's going to say, well, you're a good person, you can come in, because of your good works. And there are many people on this earth who believe that they have done nothing deserving punishment. And that's why God opens up the books and says, you've done nothing deserving judgment? Let's go through the list. This is why you're going to be punished. This is why you're going to be punished. You guys, the wonderful thing is that uh, for those of us who have accepted Christ's sacrifice, our sins were blotted out of that book. Our names were written in the book of life. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, Jesus already paid for those sins. We don't have to pay for them at the end. But these people do. These are the people who have rejected what Jesus did for them. These are the people who say, you know what, I don't need Jesus. God, I didn't need your son. I lived a good enough life without him. I'll get there on my own. I don't need someone else to die for me. I don't even deserve to die. And God says, you don't. You don't deserve punishment. Let me show you why you do. You guys see, we all know John 3.16, right? We've all heard of John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his only God's son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We know John 3.16. Do you know John 3.18? It's a couple verses later. It says this. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. We know John 3.16. Do we know John 3.36? John 3.36 says this. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. 
But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. You can't reject his Son and expect eternal life. You can't just say, I'm a good enough person to make it there by myself. You reject his Son and the Bible says that the wrath of God is still on you. You still have to pay for it at the end of your life. You guys... I always get stuck at this point in the message um, because I want to beg you to give your life to Jesus Christ and have your name written in the book of life. Listen, no one here is going to be good enough to get to heaven by their own works. We've all sinned against God. And at some point in your life, you need to make a profession of your faith. At some point, you have to say to God, God, I know that I have sinned against you. Okay? I know I deserve punishment, but I believe that your son was punished for me. And I want him in my life. And at that moment, that's when the Holy Spirit comes into you, and that's when you will change. And the Bible talks about baptism. It talks about this, this decision that you make needs to be a public one. That's what baptism was for. Jesus, that was their first command. After you gave your life to the Lord, you repented and you got baptized. Because you were publicly before people saying, look, I believe in Jesus. I'm not ashamed of that. I believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. So you go in the water and you come back out. You come in as a certain person, you come out and saying, I want to be changed. I want to be a new creation. You guys, some of you have never made that decision to ask Jesus Christ to forgive you. To ask God to wipe out all the sins of your life. And to ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today. This is what we're going to do. Tony and Shauna are going to come up and they're going to sing a song. And as they're singing, I'm going to be standing up here. And if today you're one of those people that says, you know what, I don't know if I'm going to take place in the first resurrection or if I'm going to be one of those that stand before the throne. And have to be judged. But you say today, you know what? I believe that Jesus died for me. I want him in my life. I'm going to ask you to do something that may be tough for you. I'm going to ask you to come forward and pray with me. And ask God to come into your life. In fact, Doug and Paul, the other pastors are going to be up here. I'm going to have you pray with them. Or me. or And ask Jesus to come into your life. And what I'm going to ask for the rest of you that are already Christians, I'm going to ask you to pray during this time. To pray for those who don't believe yet. Because there's tremendous power when we beg God. And uh, no one can save a person other than God himself. And as Tony and Sean are singing, and as these people are praying, some of you are going to know in your heart that you need to give your life to God. Even though you don't have all the answers yet, I don't have all the answers. But you'll know, you know what, God is calling you to surrender your life to him. And if you'd like to do that today, if you're not sure of your salvation, you'd like to ask Christ to come into your life and change you and have your name written in the book of life, then I invite you as they're singing just to come forward and pray with us while the rest of you guys are praying. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this service. God, to be able to come in here and worship you with all of our hearts, God, it's just, there's nothing we'd rather be doing this morning. 
I thank you for those whom you saved this morning, who heard the gospel and decided to accept you as their Lord and Savior. God, we thank you that they're a part of our family now and that we'll be spending eternity with them. God, this has just been an awesome experience this weekend. God, we just love the way you just work more and more every week here. And I pray that you continue to do that. Right now, God, we just remember the body and blood of Jesus Christ. All this was done at a price. Thank you, Lord, for sacrificing so much so we can be your children and we can come here and worship you with all of our hearts today. God, it's just been awesome. It is so awesome to worship you. You're a great God. And I pray that as we have been blessed, that you have been blessed by our worship and that you are honored today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.